Hi everyone, my name is Michaela, and this is the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness, where we spotlight stories from our community to uplift the collective consciousness. Thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the My Vinyasa Practice Podcast, Heartfelt Consciousness. My name is Michaela, and today we have a guest returning to chat with us again. Hi, Wenlin. How are you? Hey, Michaela. And hello, everyone. I'm doing great. Uh, feeling okay today. Just recovered from a bout of sinusitis. But yeah, my voice is back, which is great for the podcast. Good timing. Good timing. Um, will you do us a favor and give the audience a little bit of a reminder of who you are, what you do, and then we'll launch into the five elements of traditional Chinese medicine and how that kind of relates to to what we see in the yoga world, to Ayurveda. Of course, thanks so much. Um, yeah, a quick introduction to myself. I specialize in women's health, yoga and qigong, and I'm also a menstrual health coach, supporting women to regulate their menstrual cycle. And a lot of the work I do actually ties around the five elements. And also it's around this idea of um, honoring our cyclical wisdom and the seasonality as beings um, that are, you know, part of the macrocosm that is around us. And we uh, observe all of these four seasons outside of us that can also be found within us as well. And I guess we will chat more about this later on. I, yes, thank you so much for that introduction, that reintroduction uh, for those who might be new. Um, so excited to have you back and to chat with you again and to learn from you. Okay, so I mentioned it a little bit. So we've got Wendlin here with us today because as you heard in her experience, she has a lot of different, you have a lot of different schools that you learn from and that you pull from to kind of create your offerings. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the five elements in general, and then a little bit of comparison, right, of what you see in traditional Chinese medicine and then what we see in Ayurveda. Do you want to mm -hmm. give us an intro to that? Yeah, definitely. I, well, as someone who often mentors other yoga teachers as well, I'm a continued education provider, um, sort of accredited with Yoga Alliance USA. Um, a lot of the questions I get from yoga teachers, um, since I also teach them how to integrate Qigong in their yoga classes to better support the women that they work with, is um, what's the differences between Qigong and yoga? And, you know, there's the five elements in Qigong and traditional Chinese medicine. There's also the five elements in Ayurveda. And how do they compare? Is one um, system better than the other? You know, how, how, how am I going to integrate or consolidate the differences? I often get questions like these. And this is what prompted me to then write the article for Yoga Specialists and also have our conversation here today. Um, I thought actually might be interesting for you to share your knowledge of the five elements from Ayurveda and then I will build on that. How about that, Michaela? Absolutely. So from my understanding, when we look at Ayurveda, we see the energies of Ayurveda in the five elements. We have water, fire, ether, air, and oh, I'm missing one. Fire, water, ether, air, earth. Yes. Okay. I got all five. Wonderful. Um, and so when we, everything kind of encompasses elements that are related to those five basic foundational elements that make up everything um so 
they all have qualities, right? And so we use the five elements in things like the gunas and in things like the doshas and things like are the systems that we use to check in and to notice where we are because the five elements are vital in our experience on this planet. That's a great introduction, Michaela. I could not have explained the five elements from Ayurveda better. That was very, very thorough and at the same time, very apt. I would love to build on to that in case any of our audience that is tuning in. You mentioned the doshas. It is so central to Ayurveda, the tri-dosha theory that you mentioned about the five elements and that how that relates to the three specific doshas, pitta, kapha, and vata. And each of them consists of two of the specific five elements in some kind of combination. Uh, for example, there is uh, vata is, I think, air, if I'm not wrong. And then with um, ether, if I'm not wrong. Uh, so it's a more airy kind of constitution, someone who is full of ideas and often um, maybe a little bit more frail in terms of energy, needs more grounding. So that's very different from someone who is very kapha-like who has the qualities or the energy of water, very fluid, quite heavy and dense, and at the same time, earth, lots of stability, um, lots of the stable kind of energy. And, and so, yeah, definitely, as you mentioned, these things are so central to the practice of yoga and Ayurveda and underpins all of the different aspects of nutrition, of the practices that we recommend in yoga therapy as well. And um, I also wanted to point to the fact that many of us in, in my first yoga teacher training, I didn't really give much care to the five elements because there was very little attention put to them. And the, the amount of coursework spent on them really explained the elements as if they were things. So I wanted to point out to the fact that the five elements are almost energetics. So they're more like subtle energy as we would experience the chakras because the five elements can also be mapped onto the chakras as well. There are seven chakras of which the two higher chakras technically are not, well, I mean, it's debatable. Some people say they are also related to um, one of the five elements, but most, most practitioners say, okay, the first five of the chakras from the root chakra all the way to the throat chakra are connected or associated with one of each of the five elements uh, from Ayurveda. And also, more importantly, I mean, there are even more of these associations that seem quite esoteric. For example, in Ayurveda, um, these five elements are also connected to the five sheaths or the five koshas in the Panchamaya kosha model uh, of understanding our body, right? There's the meat layer of our body, the michi, uh, the Anamaya Kosha, then there's the energetic layer of the body, which is the Pranamaya Kosha. And each of these actually connect with a specific quality or energy type or characteristic that relates to the five elements. And so um, I also wanted to relate to the fact, because we were talking a little bit uh, from the beginning, you asked me to introduce myself and I men mentioned my work is a, long, a lot about cyclical wisdom, about um, you know, understanding our how we relate to nature and how we can flow with the cycles of nature. So each of these, actually within Ayurveda, we also acknowledge the need to adapt the yoga practice, adapt our um, relation to the environment, our nutrition, according to the flowing of the seasons. But this doesn't just mean the seasons outside of us, but also the seasons within us that change 
especially according to the menstrual cycle as well. Um, yeah, I remember in our last conversation together, Michaela, you said you were you had some knowledge and you were interested in like this tracking of the menstrual cycle. And could you tell me a little bit more? I would love to hear about your experience on that. So yes, I am I'm I think I, I shared the last time that we chatted that I was exploring the my relationship with hormonal birth control and how that was affecting my cycle and choosing to kind of stop taking that. And I feel as though I am, it has been a slow progression as my body has found its balance. And I feel like I'm not quite there yet. Um, I've started tracking it using an app and I've started like taking note of different things. And it seems like I can't really find stability quite yet. And I'm unsure if it's stress. I also just have COVID. So there's like all of these factors that I'm considering, but I will say that what has grown and changed and is most important to me is the awareness and the paying attention to acknowledging that it's telling me something, not just like it's a thing that's happening to me that I'm having to experience and deal with. There are messages there for me to, to, to take in and learn from. Definitely. And thanks for sharing your personal experience. Like whole, going off birth control is very, very big. And in the US, for example, I know in many countries, in Singapore, where I'm from, uh, birth control is less commonplace. I mean, it, it, there are many people who take it, but it's not as popular as in the US. And it, it's a big deal when, for example, perhaps I've worked with clients who, for example, have been on birth control since they almost started puberty, all the way until they reached their 30s. And then when they went off birth control, it's like they experienced a whole myriad of sensations, uh, fluctuations in their moods, in their energies that they have never felt from before. And therefore, it's just like you said, it's almost like a roller coaster, right? And how can you navigate all of these seasons, right? And I think this is where it brings us to the conversation of today, because we were talking about uh, the five elements of Ayurveda and actually traditional Chinese medicine. And probably those of us who are tuning in were like, how oh, did we go off track to the menstrual cycle, right? And I always want to bring it back to the topic, but also uh, these are both my interests. And the thing is, none, I've not really found any specific, um, at this point, medical evidence that points to the fact that the five elements in either of the lineages, traditional Chinese medicine, nor Ayurveda, are linked directly with the seasons of the menstrual cycle. But from my personal practice and often from my observations, I believe that each of these elements also correspond to a specific part of the menstrual cycle. And um, yeah, maybe you mentioned that you've already been tracking, right, your cycle. Maybe you could share a little bit with us. Like, are you familiar with the seasons in the cycle? Like, what's your experience with that? I am not. And we touched on it a little bit last time. You gave me like a very tiny little dip of my toes. So I am not very familiar with that or even with how they apply. Because I remember you talking about how we can even see it from like when you look at the day and then when you look at the week. And then you look at the muscle, like from all of these different perspectives, you can see them. Um, so that's about the end of my, my knowledge. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah, it's very, very common also because a lot of the modern rhetoric around the menstrual cycle has been fertility, which is ovulation, 
or menstruation, which is like the, the period, like the bleed. So you're not fertile or you're fertile. It's like the two extreme spectrums uh, on, on the two extremes, like doing versus not doing, being. Right? And, and we don't, we miss out on all of the uh, intricate small details and the in-betweens, which are actually the cycles. It's kind of like also in the year, what might be the most prominent for us right now because of, uh, you know, uh, the... Uh, how would I say, global warming and all the impact on the environment is the most evident in terms of the weather now is summer. We feel the extreme heat and we feel the dead of winter when it is the coldest. And these two can be likened to the poles of the menstrual cycle. So you experience ovulation and that can be likened to summertime and you experience <clears throat> wintertime, which can be likened to menstruation. And the same kind of qualities apply to each. So I'm going to just draw your awareness to the five elements of the traditional Chinese medicine framework, simply because I've had more experience mapping them on the menstrual cycle based on my own experience and based on the people I've worked with. And then towards the end of the conversation, we'll backtrack again. I mean, we'll drift off and come back and then we'll address again the, the questions and discuss and see, okay, which one is better? You know, how to reconcile them? Should we even reconcile them? But anyway, let's come back to here. So you're saying that you're uh, probably many of us tuning in might be interested to know when we are most fertile so that we can, you know, be in a place to carry life, to become a mother. And that's about ovulation. The most interesting thing is ovulation is connected with the energy of, in traditional Chinese medicine, of fire. And fire element has this rising energy. It is when usually um, the day of ovulation or even one or two days before and after is actually when you are the most fertile, not the actual day of ovulation, but the window period of anything between four to five days. That's when um, you're most magnetic. Um, from clinical studies, we've also known that that's when your complexion is the best, when you're most likely to be able to do five different things at the same time and still be in a good mood. And then at the end, you can socialize with friends. And at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, I'm a superwoman. That's might relate to you during ovulation or around that period. On the flip side, during menstruation, that's when we get the bad rep. And like we're supposed to get the work done. And you know, instead, it's like really tired, low on energy, heavy flow. Some of us may even suffer from dysmenorrhea and um, irregular periods, um, painful periods. Um, there are lots of different also menstrual problems that are associated with the period itself or surrounding the period. Um, but the period itself, I wanted to mention here that it's the menstrual cycle itself and the period itself is actually not a problem. And by clearing out the endometrial lining, what it does is it, it actually facilitates the fertility later on. So in in modern media, what we've seen a lot is that, oh, you know, there's so much rhetoric around optimizing your fertility, but there's a lack of understanding that if the menstrual period, the period itself during the bleed is not facilitated well, if you didn't rest well enough, you didn't eat nutritious food, you didn't manage your workload, your um, social commitments, your personal commitments, that will trickle and then affect the whole of the rest of your cycle. Think of it as in winter, if we didn't hibernate long enough as a bear to collect the fat, to rest, to stay away from the cold, 
By the time spring arrives and summer is here, we will still be exhausted and we wouldn't have enough energy to go out, to forage, to hunt, to do all the things that we would be able to do in summertime. And as I mentioned, summer is associated with the fire energy, which is rising, expanding this idea of growth. The opposite end of the spectrum, what is the opposite of fire? What, what element do you think would be the opposite? I want to say water, but I feel like it's probably earth. It's close. Actually, it's water. So in okay. the traditional yin yang, where again, there are some, there's some debate in earliest texts, there are polarities comparing earth with water, but earth is very complex in traditional Chinese medicine because there are many layers to it, but also within yoga and Ayurveda as well. But let's come back. So typically, what we look at if there's fire, what puts out the fire is water. So water has a downward flowing quality and fire has a rising quality. And in fact, the both of them are quite opposites in the sense that fire is something that is not tangible. Like we can see it with our eyes, but we can't hold it physically with our hands. It's, it's not really, it can't really be contained. But at the same time, it has this huge immense power of potential. The opposite is with water. Water seems very material, but the middle of it seems so fluid and flexible, and we also cannot grasp it. So that's why these two form the polarities. And we're talking about the seasons, right? And how they relate to the other five elements. And in between both of them, we have, so imagine fire rises, right? It's above, that summer, it's above, that's when you're most you know, outwards in the world. And then in menstruation, you withdraw into yourself, you rest, you nourish, and you return, connect with your intuition. In between both of them, after you come out from a long hibernation, what is the season that comes after uh, winter? Spring, growth. Spring, growth, exactly. Now, in traditional Chinese medicine, uh, the and in Qigong as well, the, the springtime is associated with this energy of rebirth. It's called rebirth because in the cycle, it never ends. And also in our menstrual cycle as well, it never ends. The previous cycle, if we didn't rest well, would affect the next cycle, so on and so forth. Now in the life cycle of a woman, that would be more of like when you first had your period, menarche. It has a little bit of an innocence to it. It's this energy of after, after being dormant for a long time, a sprouting almost kind of energy. So we have three elements left in the five element cycle, right? In traditional Chinese medicine, there's metal, there's earth, and there's wood. Which element do you think might map onto this energy of spring? I want to say earth or wood. Good guesses. And which, which one do you think is a little bit closer energetically? Wood. That's a great one. Thanks for that, Michaela. And the energy of wood, why is it connected to spring? Because it has an upward and expansive movement. So wood has the quality. It's not just wood itself, but imagine all things that are made of wood, they are sturdy, but at the same time pliable. So it is in relation to this aspect of Okay, after this resting, when we return into society, when we return into our obligations, into a connection with others, 
there's a delicate quality because wood grows from a sapling into a tree, a young tree, and then it became, becomes much stronger. It connects with the heavens, so on and so forth. So it almost has an upward and outwards kind of energy that is sprouting in all directions. And that is associated with the follicular phase of the menstrual cycle, which is the period after the last bleed. So when you um, when your bleed ends on the last day, maybe day seven, or maybe you have a shorter period, it might be day five, day three, it might be day nine. It really depends. After you finish the menstrual cycle, the next day that you don't have a bleed and you might notice a rising kind of energy, that's the follicular phase. And also many women report during this time a feeling of wanting to rush into doing. Like, oh, you know, I have to catch up on all of the work that I did not do or I suddenly have this energy or I suddenly want to start this new project. I want to begin a podcast. I want to establish my online business. I want to meet this other friend. So that's usually also sometimes, again, these experiences are unique and every person's experience of the menstrual cycle is different. But Many women report this feeling of wanting to well, re-engage, redo, because it, on the cycle between the two spectrums, above summer is doing. It's this idea of being out there in the world, expressing, you know, connecting with others. And then the end, the opposite is like withdrawing into yourself. And so wood is this re-emergence or rebirth. And you're like, yes, yes, I'm ready for everything. But at the same time, right, because it's springtime, you want to be delicate. What do we see in spring? Usually there are some plants or some flowers that if they didn't rest well or they didn't manage to conserve enough energy or enough from their saps, what happens is a lot of trees, they shed their leaves during autumn and then winter to conserve all the energy within the roots and in the bark of the tree. So in springtime, if they manage to have enough of those resources, sorry, in summer, in autumn, uh, in winter, if they manage to conserve all of those, in springtime, the emergence will come steadily and at a very good pace. And what we want to do in springtime is to avoid rushing into things and instead approach a childlike innocence to uh, enjoy the feeling of this wood energy connecting with creativity. So now we've mapped onto spring, we have summer and we have winter. So there are four seasons, right? What is the third, uh, third one? Autumn or fall. Yes, autumn or fall. And we also still have two other elements. Uh, what um, The two other elements are metal and also uh, earth. What element do you think might map with the energy of autumn? What does autumn feel like to you? Earth. It's a tricky one and that's a great answer because actually autumn also maps onto earth as well as metal and i'll explain a little bit why it's a tricky one and again there are many different debates about this in traditional chinese method <coughs> that's often known to be a fifth season which complicates matters because the old calendar and all of these classics were grounded in um, agriculture at that time and the harvest season or late summer which is the place where it's kind of the standstill between summer and before autumn when all the fruits are ripe when everything is fresh and juicy when it's not too hot and nothing has started to wither yet 
that is the harvest season and that is connected with the earth element. And also in the generation cycle, as well as the control cycle uh, within traditional Chinese medicine, which relates one element to the other, which one births, which one, which one controls, which one. This is also the placement of the earth. It comes after fire and it's before metal. So um, this energy of the earth can be also felt in the sense of this centering, this returning to the center, harvesting all the fruits of your labor. So after you've socialized, when you've been the most radiant during ovulation, there's a moment of accomplishment, then it dies down a little bit. And that's connected to the luteal phase. Now, the luteal phase is after ovulation, before menstruation, which is a long period during which lots of things happen. And I see you nodding a lot. You, would you like to share a little bit more about your experience of the luteal phase and how that has been? This is where my PMS starts. <laughs> um, maybe not exactly right after or right when, right when the luteal phase itself starts, but there starts, it starts to feel like, um, you, you've described it perfectly when you talk about like the non-doing, like the going within, it starts to feel like that, like a slow, steady, like decline into that more not doing time. And then, you know, there's sometimes there's emotions and sometimes there are things like cravings and sometimes there's lots of fatigue. And so there's just, there's just some symptoms that can come up right before the cycle. That's so spot on. My that's completely my experience as well. And 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 actually through my own observations, I noticed because often in many different studies online and um also in various different um by various different coaches, for example, we are simply understanding them as four seasons. But in reality, the luteal phase itself, hormonally, it's very long. And it can almost be broken up again into two separate phases. Why? Because there are different hormones uh, that are interacting or having at play. Estrogen is the hormone that is associated with ovulation and it usually peaks at ovulation. That's what causes the release of the egg and uh, fertility. And then there's progesterone, which usually has a bad reputation, but progesterone is the hormone that then supports the endometrial lining of your uh, womb to become thicker so that the fertilized egg, if that does uh, get released, then can implant onto the womb area and it will have a warm, safe space for the baby to then grow. Now, if the baby is not there, however, right? What happens is the endometrial lining gets thicker and thicker as the progesterone levels rise while the estrogen levels dip. And at the point where one exceeds the other, imagine the progesterone reaching beyond estrogen and estrogen dipping down. The second half of the cycle when the progesterone becomes very high is usually when we start to feel like a little bit irritable, like I want to divorce my husband today. Why am I doing this job? It makes no sense at all. This person is, why am I keeping this person in my life again? You know, and then you start to have all these questions and also a moment of clarity as well. And you, many women that I work with, including myself, I start to be no longer the very politi politically correct and kind and friendly and you know warm and welcoming person that I usually am. And instead, I'm just like, don't waste my time. Don't talk to me now. 
get to the point, what is it you want, you know, and even this self-critic, this inner critic dialogue can also turn to myself and then I can start having some thoughts which are like, why am I doing this? This makes no sense at all. Why did I agree to take on this project from before when I was an agreeable person during my ovulation? <laughs> And that, that is the energy of metal, right? Even though the energy of metal seems like, you know, not so great, metal is the energy to refine, to reflect. Imagine a mirror. What does the mirror do? The mirror is a just a very honest reflection of the truth. And sometimes it can get a little bit exaggerated. Have you ever been into one of those mazes where they have those strange mirrors that they accentuate certain parts? Yeah, like a big breasts, large boobs, uh, you know, your, suddenly your waist is super slim or your eyes are so big. So that's, I think, a good metaphor for understanding the inner critic, which often reveals himself, herself, themselves during the metal phase. But the very, very powerful part of this phase in the menstrual cycle is the ability to gain clarity into what truly matters for us that we might not have been able to see from the earlier seasons, especially during spring, when we might have been so excited by all the ideas, wanting to you know, regrow and be reborn. And also in summer, when we want to simply just do, to grow, to be out in the world and express ourselves. And when we come into the place of connecting with the energy of metal, it is quite literally a contracting energy. So again, they're also on opposite ends of the spectrum. Imagine summer at the top, winter below. Um, this is springtime. And then there is autumn on the other side. So if we expand uh, or we move outwards in springtime, we withdraw within in autumn. And that's essentially the energy of coming into the core. And the earth element, the harvest season, is kind of like a centering energy, a balancing energy. And it can also be seen in the transitions of all seasons. I know you mentioned you're tracking the menstrual cycle. Have you heard of the crossover days? Do you have any idea of what this might be? crossover if I had to guess it would be days where we see multiple like a I want to say like a changing of guard kind of thing you know what I mean like one element's ushered in and the other one is ushering out right exactly that's exactly what it is it's a crossing over from one season to the other there are some days or even weeks in the year where it might be like this is supposed to be spring. What's going on? Why is it still, you know, 10 degrees Celsius? Why do I need to wear this jacket, you know, in the middle of the cold? So the crossover days are usually the days where at the end of one of your seasons, but flanked by the next season. And this is a time that usually is also when you might feel almost unstable or almost like you're about to fall into the next season. And if you don't ground yourself in your energy of earth, or which is the energy of returning to center, into yourself, into the feeling of being held, into having a bigger container than you, then that's when also the inner critic, that's when also tiredness, that's when also a feeling of struggle, not being able to manage might arise, aside from the metal phase or the, the autumn phase, which is the PMS phase. 
So if there are four seasons, there are also four of these crossover days. There might not be one single day. They might be more than one day. I usually have one, a cross, one day where I can feel it's like a crossover, like, okay, my period just ended. I should feel really creative now. Should, right? There's no should. But then I don't feel creative because I did not rest well properly in my uh, period from before. And therefore, I don't quite feel the rising energy of the follicular phase yet, just for an example. And also the earth energy, even though it is present in the harvest season, which is between like the first part of the luteal phase when you didn't quite feel, you know, when you're still enjoying the ovulation, but it's not ovulation yet. <laughs> and so it's already at the end of the ovulation and you don't feel the PMS symptoms yet. That's like the earth energy. Yeah, you know, everything is good. You're feeling a calm, soothing energy. The earth element also in traditional Chinese medicine governs these crossover days because this is an important time to recenter into yourself. If you don't center into yourself, instead you're drawn into the outside world and the changes, then that's when you're thrown off center. Also because in traditional Chinese medicine, the earth element is associated with um, this assimilation, transformation, integration, and it brings everything back into the center. Just like the earth is quite literally the center of um, the entire planet and heaven is above, earth is the most material, the most physical, just like our bodies are manifest and of the earth. Just like also, actually in yoga as well, you know, we believe that this layer is connected with the earth, right? The earth sheath. And the heavens above represents the most ethereal, the most um, you know, energetic that we can't quite understand, can't quite see, but we can connect with. And so that's, uh, in a nutshell, how the seasons, right, the inner seasons of our menstrual cycle relate to the five elements in traditional Chinese medicine. I wanted to pull the conversation back, though, to Ayurveda, because some of our viewers might be like, okay, that's interesting, but what about Ayurveda? You know, how does this tie in um, to that? I have not yet mapped the seasons onto Ayurveda, and let me explain a little bit why. The, the reason is simply because I've always seen and understood uh, the menstrual cycle and also traditional Chinese medicine in a cyclical pattern. And I see how they flow. From the lineage of yoga and Ayurveda, from my understanding, the five elements seem to be mapped vertically along the chakras. So if you imagine yourself, so from the root, the root chakra, what in your experience, what element does that map onto in Ayurveda? Earth. Yeah, earth element, and then followed by the next layer, the sweaty uh, fire. Uh, that's uh, that's a Manipura chakra, which okay. is the, yeah, and okay. in between we have the Svadhisthana, which is the hip area. And how does that feel? Water. Yes, very watery, right? That's mm -hmm. a, and it's also connected with sexuality, mm -hmm. creativity. So that is the quite the feminine source. Almost we call it also the area where we connect with the sacred feminine. And then the belly area or the, the solar plexus is the where the digestion happens. And that's why it's connected in Ayurveda and in yoga with this ability to digest, to burn up all the food. The Agni. Yes, the Agni, exactly. Could you share with our listeners a little bit more about Agni? Uh, so Agni is the like the digestive fire, um, the what allows us to process 
all of the prana that we're taking in from our food. Um, and so from my understanding of Agni came from drinking water. I love cold water and in Ayurveda, it's not great to drink cold water. That tends to extinguish your Agni and make it harder, slower digestion. You might have like feel sluggish, feel bloated, things like that. Whereas something like alcohol really ramps your Agni up. So like people tend to have um, digestive upset if they've drank a lot. So Agni is just like, it's the fuel, it's the fire. Thanks for sharing that, Michaela. I love that metaphor and I love your personal experience on that. Also wanted to share that because for those of us who are tuning in, right, you're interested between Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. Traditional Chinese medicine also discourages drinking cold water. And when I first arrived, I'm from Singapore, which is an Asian country. And when I first arrived in Italy, it was impossible to find a place that would serve me hot water or even warm water is a disgrace to ask for it at a coffee bar, at a restaurant. I have a friend who is Singaporean. When she first moved here, her husband would feel ashamed and humiliated when she asked the restaurant assistant or the waitress to serve her some warm water and we would be looked down upon. So that, that's her experience. But anyway, I totally agree with you that actually... For those of us who are tuning in, cold water is really not great for you. You can have a little bit of it, but on a regular basis, it's not great for digestion. And for women, it's even worse. Don't do it. Just don't drink cold water if possible. Try to keep to warm fluids. Tea is always great. Herbal teas are great. Soups, broths, porridge, best for women's health. Anyway, going back to the topic. So we were at the third chakra, right? We mapped on to three already. We had the earth element, which is the root chakra connected to the earth, the most physical, the most grounding, most tangible. Then we had the water element associated with Svadhisthana chakra, creativity, this fluidity, feminine, femininity. Then we had the Agni, which is connected with the fire element in uh, the digestive fire. And then we have two other elements that connect map on to the Anahata chakra, the heart chakra, as well as the throat chakra, Vishuddha. What are these two and how, how do you think they might map on to the five, the other two elements? Air and ether? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it I believe the understanding from Ayurveda is simply that um the air is. It's housed here in the lungs, which makes complete sense. And the heart here is connected to the feeling of joy with love. And that's why it makes sense that the heart is connected with the element of air. And instead, the throat chakra is an expression. And when we express, it's almost like, yeah, it, it's something ethereal. It's beyond the air. We take in the air, but then we express something that is beyond that. And that's why it's almost space or ether that's connected with the throat chakra. And as you can see already from our experience, like the menstrual cycle, right, it, which is cyclical, uh, it has follows a circular pattern. And from my knowledge of traditional Chinese medicine, I've always understood it also as cyclical. And therefore, it made sense for me to then apply and map my knowledge of the five elements onto this. And I didn't yet see a similar pattern, even though Ayurveda also um, sees the transitions of the seasons 
and also acknowledges the importance of adjusting our diet, adjusting our yoga practice according to the seasons. So from here, what we can already see is these two practices seem to map differently, even though there are five elements. The first thing is we notice earth in Ayurveda doesn't quite seem like earth in traditional Chinese medicine, right? There are some qualities that are similar, but not quite the same. And same for water. Just now in traditional Chinese medicine, I mentioned that there's the polarity of yin-yang with yang, you know, the most active, the most outward-facing upwards is fire, and that's summer. And then the most downwards-flowing is water, and the most quiet, the most uh, introspective. On the other hand, from the lineage of Ayurveda and yoga, it seems like water's qualities, even though it's also about fluidity, it's more about creativity. It's more about sensuality, sexuality. And it doesn't quite necessarily map onto a specific season of the menstrual cycle from my own experience. And furthermore, we did see that um, there are two other elements that differ. So Michaela has shared already there are there's air and also ether for our listeners who have tuned in and they are new to the five elements in Ayurveda. So these two, and there are two that I mentioned from before in traditional Chinese medicine that don't exist in Ayurveda and they are the wood element and metal element. So we can see firstly the maps of these two element, elemental approaches are different. Second, even though they are both five elements, they don't quite map onto each other. The fire in one doesn't quite relate to fire in the other, and neither does water in one relate to water in the other. And so, right, we can't really quite say that this is, you know, better on the other. But I do feel like though, you know, having both of these approaches managed to enrich my understanding and also uh, be able to, offer something more for my students and also the women that I coach and support simply because there are different maps that help us to under, understand different parts of subtle anatomy, which is a deeper layer of, of ourselves that we don't quite know about that science doesn't yet reveal. What, are your, what about your experiences and your thoughts on this, Michaela? I really appreciate that because... You're right. I mean, it, it's, there's still a level of like uniqueness, even though there's this like relation. Um, I also love the idea of there's something for everyone and it doesn't have to be one's better than the other one's good, one's bad. It can just be one might not, you might not feel as connected to related to one or be able to apply it as authentically. Um, and so I appreciate the two different approaches because no one's the same. No one, two people are the same. Um, I also really like it because like there are similarities, but there are big differences like metal. I had no idea metal was an element considered an element in traditional Chinese medicine. I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I love it. I think it's really cool. Thanks for sharing. And I love that you mentioned that it's really something for everyone. I think for those of us who are tuning in, even if <coughs> you're interested in both of them, I want to leave you with the thought that we don't have to reconcile everything. One of the main things about science that has misled us for other disciplines is the idea that there is something that is correct. There's something that is the universal through, truth. 
that we must adhere to and like one model is more correct than the others. And in, in the article I wrote, I always started off framing the article because I wanted to, to invite readers and also listeners today to take the mind of an explorer. Modern science has shown us so much about our organs, our physical body, uh, our functioning of the blood, bones, hormones, but there's so much about the subtle energetic body that we don't quite know about and we're still uncovering more information. And the most important thing is that both of these lineages, both of these five elements and their respective maps, whether they map onto the five seasons or you know the menstrual cycle as in traditional Chinese medicine, it also maps onto the hours of the day, the year, for example, emotions, there are many more associations. But the same thing for Ayurveda that maps onto the koshas, the energetic sheaths, it maps onto the chakras, it maps onto the tridoshas. All of these are simply maps for us to navigate different parts of ourselves, of our relationship with the world. And with these maps, it is not about accuracy. We're not trying to say, no, which one is the most precise? You know, how can we find the right one that is perfect? There is no perfect map because depending on the purpose, we might use a different map. Let's say I hand you a map that uh, shows you all the, the local schools and you're like, no, but I just want to know where the next coffee bar is. I don't need to know a map of a school and that's not relevant to me. So essentially the purpose of a map is to show um, the navigator the key points of interest so that we can explore these points and be able to be in a position that can locate uh, and discover new things about ourselves and the world. And I think it's really valuable to explore each of these maps on their own. Right, without this, without having to compare and say, okay, one is better than the other. This is the right one. That's the wrong one. No, you know, traditional Chinese medicine is wrong. Ayurveda is more valid. Or like Qigong is a better practice than yoga. You know, and I want to invite our listeners and viewers to hold this thought for a moment and set aside the need for comparison. And we're like, what if both were correct? Could that be possible? How could they both be correct? You know, how can we hold contradiction? How can we hold this idea of like, it's not black or white, it's all these shades of gray that in between that reveal something new. And at the same time, when we hold this possibility for <clears throat> complexity, for not having a simple answer of yes or no, this or that, black or white, then there's so much richness for us to explore. And even as someone who is, uh, exploring cyclical wisdom has and it has a fair amount of knowledge in each of these a little bit more in traditional Chinese medicine of course I'm still trying to understand and see how these elements might be mapped onto other aspects of our life for example uh, there are the five different stages of starting a project there's this visioning of the project there's initiation of the project there's execution there's refinement and then this also can relate to the five elements because all of these elements, they are not things. They are energetic qualities, phases, transitions, and they are universal. They can be applied to so many different aspects of our lives. And yeah, what, what about your experience of the elements, Michaela? I'm, I really love this. It's like aligning a lot with 
other things, other lessons, other things that I'm learning uh, right now. This year, this season really feels like the season of both and. And so I love how you just brought that up because it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be one is better than the other. And I really appreciated that you brought up the role that modern science has played in that because I never recognized that. And you're right. Absolutely. And it's also tying into like some things I'm learning about um, Buddhism and like some of their underlying ideas of like, I absolutely believe you when you say that this is the truth for you. Absolutely. That's, that could be true. Yes. Everything could be true. What if it's all true? And so I'm really loving this. I think it's great. That's great to hear. A lot of your experience resonates with mine. When I first encountered the five elements, I was like, what does this mean? You know, there's something more to it than just like them being like animate things. Like it's, it's, it's like energy. What does this mean? How can I feel this energy? And more importantly, like when I started to feel a deeper connection with the elements, whether it's from Ayurveda or whether it's from traditional Chinese medicine, I started to realize that I, each of us have this intrinsic connection with the world that is never broken. Just like the tree that is losing its leaves in autumn, I'm feeling a descending sense of sadness in my luteal phase, in my PMS. It's the same thing. When I realized it was the same thing, I realized I was not alone. And the feeling of sadness that I used to have in my menstrual cycle or the feeling of this rising anger or this wanting to do lots of things, this agency that is connected with the wood energy of springtime, of the follicular phase right after the menstrual period ends, it's the same. Then I was like, wow, I'm really a microcosm of the macrocosm. I started to be really convinced of this because years of practicing yoga, years of teaching yoga, and I'd always thought that, yes, you know, we are union. Union is, you know, my mind with my body, with myself. But the greater message is always union means us with the world, right? Right. I see you nodding a lot. And what's your experience been of this, you know, feeling a part of something greater? I, I absolutely agree with you. I realize I haven't answered your question correctly the first time, but yes, 100%. I, it makes me feel less alone. I'm, I am a small part of the big picture, but I'm not alone in that. There is these pieces of all of these energies that are within everything that I share with everything. And so how can I ever really be alone in my experience and that made me a little emotional the way that you described the tree with your luteal phase and I was like because my dream is to when I when I pass is to be planted as a tree that is like my dream I would love to be a tree that is here for however long and so you saying that was really like that is it absolutely is that kind of like recharging conserving changing that, that's what comes up for me Thanks for sharing that. That's so beautiful, Michaela. And that brings to mind, I don't know if this is a bit like nerdy or random, but it brings to mind a Chinese herb. I can't remember the name now, Cordyceptus something, that it's called Tong Chong Xia Cao, which means in winter, it's an insect which dies and passes away. Its body falls underneath the ground and becomes the source of a fertilizer or nutrient. And then in summer, it re-emerges as a a herb 
So it's it's really this cycle of never ending, like, you know, the bodies go away, but this essence then returns to the earth and we fuel the growth of something bigger than ourselves. And I love that you touched that and mentioned that, you know, there's this uniqueness that is like, I'm me and that these qualities about me that is unique and individual, but at the same time, I'm connected with something much greater than myself. And almost like the whole universe is also reflected within me. And I think this is really the message of the five elements, regardless of whether it's from Ayurveda or traditional Chinese medicine. At the end of the day, what they're saying, what these sages, what these wisdom um, you know, creators of these respective lineages received was this transmission from something much greater than ourselves that, yes, we are all divine and the connections between ourselves with the different aspects of the menstrual cycle, with a tree, with the flowing water, with the axe chopping the wood, you know, with whatever it is, it's one and the same. And when we start to see the connections in these seemingly separate things, that's what draws us closer to life and draws us closer to this feeling of never being alone, of always being supported and loved and whole. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes, that the way you said that, always being supported and whole. Yes, 100%. Um, this has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you, as always, for your knowledge, your time, your space, your energy. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share before we part ways for the day? Any final thoughts, feelings? No, I'm just very glad. And, you know, it, I, I feel like we had such a great conversation. I love that you were sharing your own experience uh, from that. And yeah. I feel like you have so much more that you could teach us. So um, I know we talked about this last time, but I know you're busy. You have all of these things that you're doing. But if you have feel called to share anything else with us, you've got my email. Reach out to me. Let me know. Um, for the yeah. listeners, again, I will link uh, Wenlin's website as well as um, her social media in the description of the episode. So you could find that if you would like to. Otherwise... Have if you are if you are experiencing your cycle or you're going to be experiencing your cycle, maybe you use this episode to kind of check in. Thank you for being here, and uh, we'll see you next week.